Welcome to the Inspired Peak Performance Flowcast. Drop in as we dive deep into the epic moments of high performance from around the world, where we aim to unlock the valuable insights into their vision and the strategies applied in the pursuit of their own version of greatness. We'll discuss the experiences that led them there and what state they were in when they arrived. I'm your host, Paul Price, and this is The Flowcast. Well, Hanson, welcome to The Flowcast. Yeah, thanks, Paul. It's a pleasure, of course, to be here. So, yes, looking forward to having a chat. So let's get stuck in. Like, Let's get a bit of um, background on Bo and the journey to this point, obviously starting with your rowing career that was quite significant, four-time Olympic medalist. You know, how did, how did you get into rowing? How did you, and then what was your approach to, to leading to that success that you had going into that? Yeah, so, I mean, I started rowing at high school. I was at Brisbane State High, and you know, State High has always had a really proud tradition of developing Olympians, not always intentionally. It's just that that's the type of school that it is. It, it, it is a place that focuses on, you know, performance and making a contribution. And so rowing wasn't that I guess it stayed high. It um, has a proud history of rowing. However, we hadn't been successful in recent years. And so I enjoyed the sport. So I was identified by one of the teachers who would have identified a whole heap of other kids too. You know, I was asked to turn up at the facility and to start practice. My brother had already started rowing the previous year. He was a little bit older than me. And so it wasn't a big deal for me to jump in the car at the same time and end up in the same place. And yeah, I love water. So almost everything that I do is involved with the water. It's I like being away from the water sometimes as well, but I always come back to the water. So there is something about water for me. And rowing was an opportunity to always be on the water. And I enjoyed the sport because I had done other sports at that point. I'd, you know, obviously done tennis and played football and all of those type of sports. And you know, I know you've squashed background and you know, did a little bit of that and just all ball sports, racket sports. And I got really personally frustrated with tennis. Like I, I could never really, I knew I was pretty strong. I could never hit the ball as strongly as I would like because it would always go out and that would frustrate me. And I have to wait for another opportunity to hit it again. It didn't happen fast enough. And so in many ways, when I found rowing, I thought, oh, I can just keep rowing. You know, I have one stroke, next stroke, next stroke, next stroke. And it's totally consuming. And you can truly perfect it that way. Like I could literally just get better and better and better at it. And that really appealed to me. And there was also a strong sense of rowing with others and finding yourself on a team where at the time you don't know it, but as you later go on, you realize that this is the ultimate team sport. There is only one result that you take away. There's no individual stat. And Mm. Uh, that really appealed to me. So I didn't win any races at school, essentially lost them all. And then two years later, rode at the Olympics. Um, one year after I rode at the World Championships in junior, another coach identified that he wanted to put a crew together and selected myself and, a, and three other guys from different GPS schools. And that taught me the value of a coach with really clear intentions. And you can have a vision and that's a massive part of leadership. And I was attracted to that. He had a plan, he had a vision, had done it before <clears throat> and believed he could do it again. And yeah, we put a crew together and they're, they're my best mates still to this day. All of those guys is that formative an experience. And then, yes, a year later, we went back to the same location. As it turned out, that was a test event for the Olympics in 92. And I, I went on to make the team and got the opportunity to row with guys that were older than me and learned from that experience of being a young guy rowing with an old guy or older guy. He's not an old guy. He's 28. <laughs> an old guy when you're 18 though. Yeah. And just the experience of rowing with someone who had missed out on making a team and his desperation to make the team drove, drove me to wanting to make it as well. And, um, I certainly benefited from him pushing me along and learning things in that way. So, yeah, and the rest is just on we go, you know, just all consuming, right? That's what sport is. Yeah, it's just all in. Yeah. So yes, the rowing experience went for four Olympics and three Olympic medals, and and then and now it seems like another another world away. Today actually is the 21st anniversary of the Sydney race, so that puts things into perspective as to how long we got was. <laughs> yeah, a long time. But it's um, if, if you're anything like me, it kind of still feels a little bit like yesterday. 
Yeah, you never um, forget those. Memories are so powerful and strong. Yeah, they're, and they, they're, I mean, memory is etched when you have an emotional experience, right? Mm. And certainly I remember specific days in all of my rowing. I remember not just the overall sort of overarching feeling of what it was like, but specific moments of runs around the bay at Sydney or, you know, specific moments at Penrith when your hands are full of blisters and they... You, you're faced with the prospect of grabbing the oar tighter and breaking them all and just rowing on and getting it over and done with or, you know, holding off a little bit and not. And so the pain of that, I, I remember that vividly. And, and yeah, I, I remember all the other moments of winning and losing as well. Um, yeah, it takes up a fair bit of space. And I, I don't think you ever really get past that, to be honest. You mm. replay those stories over and over again and, yeah, it's good to reflect on and it's good perspective for this time in my life too. Yeah. Yeah. What, what a great, great achievement. And um, I'm curious to know, like you touched on it when you said that the coach came along, selected you, had a vision and that intention of what was possible. What led you, and, and I totally agree, like having that vision intention to create that sort of following, what was the, what was the thing that allowed you to buy into that? You know, here comes a guy who says, this is my vision. This is what I'm about. This is what I think we can do. Mm. What was it about that moment or that coach or that person? Yeah, that so his name... Yeah. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, his name was Alan Bromley. He coached at Brisbane Grammar School for many, many years, was a successful coach, had won a lot and had actually done that same thing in the 89 World Championships for a junior crew. And so he was someone who... Uh, I didn't know a lot about at the time, only because I'd never rode for him. I'd always rode against the crews that he put on the water. Right. But when you're young and you'd never won before and someone comes along and says, look, you could be anything you want to be in the sport of rowing. And he points out the reasons why he believes and knows this. And someone doesn't have that level of belief in themselves. The easiest way for you to inspire that belief in them is to show that you believe in them. And so he yeah. showcased that to me. Um, he had a clear idea clear plan as to what he believed he could achieve with us and he'd handpicked people out of various crews that he felt would make up a great combination and yeah I mean the reality is that it did he didn't do it on his own he had other helpers too but you know fundamentally he had a compelling story and you know I wanted to row and at that point in time no one else had asked you know this is and rowing's not like that either it's not a professional sport where someone's going to come along and say hey going to pay you this money to come and join this program it's literally someone had to set a pathway and I think that you know if he did that extraordinarily well for myself and many other young rowers too and mm. um, and so yeah that was it and when someone has a compelling vision it just shows you how important a compelling vision is and you know it was one where he was going to put the work in and and do what was necessary and you know he wasn't getting paid to do it either, you know, so he's in it, he's in it with us. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's purely, purely just a, an intrinsically driven passion. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, uh, transpired into, you know, everybody collectively coming together to share that belief and yeah, you know, let's go on this, this mission together. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. really powerful. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really cool. I got goosebumps thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the way you put it there, it is that. I mean, there's plenty of times today where people are extrinsically motivated, but money or status or whatever else that comes with it. But, you know, to really deeply connect with those intrinsic motives and you don't realise it at the time, but that's what creates that type of, you know, etching experience, right? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, it taps deeply into the, the passion and purpose of, of what we're, what we're about at that point in time for sure yeah yeah um, beyond the, the success of, of the rowing career and obviously from that point you launched a business athlete assessments which is thriving today and you're still immersed in and you've got a few other different things going on but you came across across disc profiling and once you sort of went through that process beyond that you seem to be the words were that you enjoyed your athletic career more so from that point what was it about learning about this profiling, learning about yourself and your personality style that allowed you to enjoy the process. Yeah. I mean, I remember trying out for the Olympic team in 92 
you know, after that experience at the at the World Junior Championships where we came second and came back from that and got invited to a pre-Olympic camp and to trial. And I remember that one of the first things we did, one of the sports psychs down there got us to do a personality profile with Myers-Briggs. It's a pretty well-known profile. It's all back then. It's all paper-based. And I got the results back and no one ever told me about it or said anything about it or showed how to use it or anything else. So that experience really just drifted away. And it wasn't until I started doing my study in business management and, you know, human resources and training and development and starting to learn about these tools out there, you know, that I was doing some corporate training and I was a participant on a leadership program and someone introduced that concept. The facilitator said, hey, look, this is a disc profile. It's going to help us understand how we behave and our leadership styles. And there are different ways to lead. I said, oh, well, this would be interesting. So no one's ever talked to me about this before, which today and still I find extremely strange that no one would talk about these things, right? Whereas the relationship and the understanding yourself and self-awareness is such a massive piece of the equation. Yeah. How can we be this neglectful of how important it is? I mean, I had a coach, Tim McLaren, that would talk a lot about this, but that was in later years. Um, but initially, yeah, no one talked about it. Anyway, so I did the profile and I learned some things about myself and my behavior it's not so much your personality is a fine line between the two but it's your preferred behavioral profile and that's essentially saying that this is how i most prefer to behave and there are some behaviors that you might do which are very helpful for getting better outcomes and then there's also behaviors that you do that don't help you at all and it's highly situational and yeah when you look at the best athletic performers the same in businesses some of the best businesses for example are highly adaptable and we're seeing this in the world today is you can't adapt quickly now you're going to find yourself in all sorts of struggles right mm. things change extremely fast these days and no doubt that's not going to get slower it's just going to get quicker and so i learned some behaviors that i did that for some reason i wasn't doing when i was actually playing my sport and so the challenge there was with disc is that your most preferred behaviors tend to give you your best results which makes sense it's like saying are you left or right-handed if you're right-handed and you're going to play basketball and, you know, you're shooting a free throw with your left hand, it would make no sense. But I was doing some of that for whatever reasons. And I, I psychologically understand the reasons why I wasn't doing these behaviors. But ultimately, DISC just says, this is what you're doing. The question is, is it giving you the result that you want? If it's not, then it's on you to go, well, what could I do differently? Yeah, what's the now, alternative you, behavior? Yeah. yeah, what's the alternative? But if you lack self-awareness, right? It's like the first time that as a coach and you've done a lot of coaching, you show someone video footage of what they're doing and their eyes light up and they go, oh, okay, this is what you mean. And it's like shining a light on your behaviors where you go, oh yeah, okay. Mm, all right. Now I understand. I wasn't doing that or I was doing too much of that. Now I realize now do I have options to perhaps choose a different behavior or do I know what my preferred behaviors look like in the context of a race plan? Yeah. So that was for me, that was the whole point is that I may, I vividly remember the day that I discovered it. I remember when I raced that weekend, I remember making a conscious decision to do something different. And for me, you know, my profile suggests that I like being in charge. I like to take control. I like to be decisive. I like to be fast paced. I like to be urgent. So why wouldn't you race in front, get out in front, take control. Let's just see how it works out. There's a little bit of a leap of faith you know, because you can't just keep going further and further in front, right? But I, I did that. I started aggressively and, well, I, I found myself in front. I said, oh, this is different. And I, let's, I hope the race ends soon. And then you <laughs> realize that it's not going to end soon. So now you have to have another strategy where, okay, let's consolidate that. Let's be patient now. Let's just work on rhythm. And so you, it requires all behaviors, but you've got to have them in the right order. I previously worked on rhythm and being conservative and finding that rhythm early on. And you realize that you don't use the adrenaline that you need and suddenly you're, you're a long way behind. And then you try to race fast at the end of the race. For some people it actually works, but for me, it didn't. Yeah. It was never a disaster. I don't come second or third or fourth. You still make teams, but I believed I had the capability of winning races. And it wasn't until I adjusted my strategies in line with my preferred behaviors that I, I yeah, I started getting better results. And then, then there were other behaviors too, you know, learning about the guys that I rode with and that they're not like me and that's not a bad thing and that they bring different qualities to the crew. 
and what could I learn from them? And I really valued some of the behaviors that my team members brought that I didn't have because they made up for some of the, not limitations, but the non-preferred behaviors that I just yeah. didn't want to do, you know, but how could I adapt to better meet their needs and the needs of the boat? I mean, that's a massive thing in rowing, which is almost different to every other sport. You know, we talk about the only thing that matters is what makes the boat go fast. So mm. what behaviors are going to make the boat go quick? How do we row to make the boat go fast? It's not like, oh, well, how would you like to row? You know, it's like, no, it's, this is the arc you need to row. It's pretty defined. If you row inside or outside of that arc, your results will be less. And it's not about you. It's about the boat. And so it's something that, uh, you know, a lot of, whether it's in organizations or even other sports, don't quite have the same thing. Like there's the boat is not an inanimate object. It's this living and breathing thing that will respond to what you do to it. Yeah. It's like an so, extension yeah. of you all. Yeah. And then you can apply the same to a business or, or your own team. It, it becomes an extension of yourself and you think, well, what's the best behavior for the team right now? And that means that sometimes I get to do the way that I like to do it. But a lot of the time it means I got to make an adaptation, but you can't adapt unless you know what you're currently doing. Right. Yeah. And that acceptance of it, understanding why you would have to step into a, a less preferred behavior or yeah. for the benefit of the team and go, well, I know that ultimately that feeling of doing this, over yeah. going that, yeah, most people would choose the, oh yeah, I'll do that to get to that. Yeah. But if you have no awareness around it, you really can't, there's, no, there, there's nothing, there's no, <laughs> you can't even do that. You're just sort of running on instinct a lot, a lot of the time. Yeah. And look, you know, instinct will serve you well in, you know, a certain percentage of scenarios, right? Depending upon how well suited that instinct is to the actual environment you're operating in. So you know, if you worked in emergency services where you're a first responder, then, you know, going into the nth degree of detail as to how the accident happened at that point in time when you've got to save someone's life, if you prefer to go into detail, well, that's not really going to serve you well in that particular environment, right? So yeah. having a behavioral style that just gets to work, deals with what is, and gets that person ready for the next person, and the next person who comes along probably goes into that level of detail. I mean, they're all different behaviors required for different roles. And um, that's, that's a massive part of the equation. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing for me about DISC is that, you know, when I discovered that, that's what brought the enjoyment is knowing how I could combine better with others, knowing how some of my behaviours weren't appropriate. And instead of blaming that on someone else, you take more responsibility for yourself. And that level of acceptance around, like you said, it's not good or bad or right or wrong. It's, is it useful? You know, and if the baby is not useful, it's no big deal. Just do something different as opposed to saying, well, oh, well, that's your personality and it's autopilot stuff and it is what it is. No, it isn't what it is. It's like, do something different. Try something new. Yeah. If it gives you a better result, keep doing it. If it doesn't, adjust again, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I, I went on to learn how that applies to, I used to really not like rowing in rough water, which is a bit of an issue for a sport, which is outdoors on water, right? Yeah. Quite often, it's not like we have a day here today where it's weather is beautiful, it's calm, and there's no wind at all. But the reality is, is that a lot of rowing races are rowed in adverse conditions. And I didn't like that. And I didn't row well in it as a result. And you'd be apprehensive and you'd be nervous. And I had a certain physicality that I knew I wouldn't be able to apply if it was rough because you just can't physically row as hard, right? But I had poor strategies and, you know, that was another thing when I learned to adapt and understand myself better and I had a coach who taught me how to row in those conditions. It's a good example of how something that you once may have not preferred can actually become something you become phenomenally good at, you know, and yeah. it got to the point where I used to pray for it to be rough. I used to want it to be rough because I knew that there'd be plenty of other people that wouldn't deal with it well and it would give you a competitive advantage if you could. Um, yeah. But it came on the back of learning how to deal with whatever situation and conditions you found yourself in. Yes, that's really so powerful. Adaptability, you know. Yeah. And so did you find that through that process that you felt from a, a, a deeper connection standpoint with teammates, coaches and things that, that next level of awareness and understanding about yourself that you were able to connect on a deeper level, in particular to teammates, through that understanding? Did it... Did it did it transfer out of the boat into 
relationships as well? Yeah, well, it has to. And, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but certainly research has suggested this today. I mean, relationships in sport really weren't studied until, you know, the Canadians did a study in 2008 with their own the podium program where they looked at the factors that contributed to personal best or medal winning performances in their team members and they found that the coach athlete relationship and the the interpersonal relationships within a team were a performance factor and one of the main performance factors right and then self-awareness being the precursor to that Mm. so the key there is realizing that just because someone is different to me doesn't mean they're bad, right? A lot of people today, and you see it in the world today, even if someone has a different opinion, well, they must be wrong, you know, and there's a high level of division and there's not a lot of empathy for others' points of view. And so that interpersonal stress created through, you know, people having these differences of opinions that often are not resolved in a healthy way, interpersonal stress is one of the most challenging things that impacts performance, right? And it's just massively debilitating from an energy perspective. And when you're doing something at such a high level of performance where you need every tiny little bit of energy, Mm -hmm. you can't be wasting it in interpersonal stress. And so use of the profile really does help to understand different people, their ways of contributing are different to yours. We have the same goal of making the boat go fast. They have their own unique ways of doing things and contributing yours are a little different to theirs, but if you can see that it's all contributing, that's really a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely impactful. And so so based on that sort of experience, that this profiling and that sort of work and that realization of how powerful that was, was that sort of the spark in developing athletes assessment and then sort of taking it a step further into the sporting realm? Yeah, I mean, when we... When I retired from rowing and when you retire from rowing, there's no announcement. You just don't show up anymore, right? You just tell your coach, well, that's it. Yeah. And it's not like a press conference. But the point is, is that, yeah, I finished rowing and I was looking, I was obviously working in corporate training and doing these leadership programs and that's still enjoyable. I really, really wanted to work with sport again. And I wanted to work in sport because I'm interested philosophically in chasing point one or like the point ones add up the point one percent it's not the one percenters like anyone who talks about the one percenters doesn't i believe doesn't truly understand performance because if i'm one percent off my best i'm not in the olympic final yeah it's a massive difference like some events are statistically insignificant as to you know how much better one athlete is to another like it's just such a small margin and i i just think that it's healthier if you like from a performance perspective to go any tiny little difference that i can chase you know is going to benefit me and everyone does that it'll have a cumulative effect and will eventually add up to more than one percent so yeah so essentially once i finished sport i i wanted to work with athletes again because and this is not for all corporate organizations but i vividly remember standing in front of a group of leaders in a big corporate organization and asking them just what percentage of their best do they need to be at today in order to, you know, serve their clients well or to lead their team effectively? And when the average response suggested they needed to be at least a seven out of ten, it's sort of I got a little frustrated with that, you know. And I think, well, if I'm a seven out of ten, well, that, that, you can't even contemplate being that bad, you know. Um, and so I wanted to work with people that were also interested in chasing small margins, basically. Yeah. That's where I said, well, let's go back and work in sport. I mean, again, we still do corporate stuff, but we're very selective about the corporates that we want to work with, you know, and I think that's philosophically healthy. Uh, It's not my job to convince someone that they should aspire to be a little bit more. Yeah. So, yeah, so we went back and created athlete assessments and it was a massive leap of faith. We did a lot of search online. Is anyone doing any work in disc behavioral profiling in sport? someone surely around the world is doing this and the reality is that it was zero no one that's not to say disc had not been used in sport but no one had made it the core of their business Mm. and that was always our goal and so we started with zero clients in 2007 i got an opportunity to speak at the u.s national rowing convention and spoke about this concept and we managed to win some clients and i'd already like my wife and i started the business we'd already had the conversation 
you know, we poured all of our money into it um, within reason anyway, but it was a significant investment and learning about an online business and all the challenges that go with that at a time when it was pretty hard to get good advice to. Anyway, yeah. we said, if we don't come back with clients, we really probably should dedicate our time to something that's a little bit more of a known quantity, given that, you know, we've got kids and we've got to look after them. Yeah. But anyway, we came back with some clients and we've just slowly and organically grown the business ever since. And so, yeah, that's the that's the journey, and we're still doing it, and I, it's still enjoyable. Even today, for example, I've spoken with four four clients overseas and teams about disc and relationships and behaviours, and you, you explain the same thing over and over and over again, but everyone is a little bit different, you know. And yeah. so, yeah, it's still enjoyable. Like I couldn't tell you how many times I've explained disc now. Um, but I actually still, still today, yeah. but you know what I mean? It's still good. It's still actually enjoyable because it's the people that you work with, their coaches that are also philosophically aligned to knowing that relationships are important. They're a performance factor that we want to develop a great culture that, you know, we want to give our, our student athletes and our athletes a phenomenal experience in sport. And this is a strategy to help do that. And so you're working with people that are philosophically on the same page as you are, right? And that's inspiring to do, yeah. Yeah. And the impact goes, you know, you take that a lot of, you know, we often talk in sport about how the lessons we learn in sport kind of can help build the character that you take out into the world away from yeah. sport. But that's just amplifying another tool for them to go out into the workplace, to transition from sport, from college sport into something else. And yeah. And so they're, they're so transferable. So not only you, you're impacting that sporting environment and that connectivity that through that, their awareness and understanding is going to go out and ripple effect throughout the world into their yeah. homes with their families, friends, community. When you have an impact on people's behaviors, personality change, you know, in fact, impact their lives in a positive way, it goes out and creates that ripple effect. So I'm, I'm, you know, I know that it's highly motivating to, to think of it at that level as well. So. Yeah, I mean, and that's a big part of the reason. I mean, had we just purely done this in the corporate world, there's a lot more money in corporate. And, and yeah, you've got to take care of the nuts and bolts. But for us doing some corporate work that with aligned people, but doing it in sport, yeah, there is a strong sense of meaning around it. And, you know, when you talk to a lot of athletes, as I've done over the years now, many of them don't have a great experience with their coach. You know, the same as a lot of employees don't have a great experience with their manager, you know, and that's one of the, where you're spending a lot of time doing your sport, you're spending a lot of time at work, you know, to have a poor experience creates a lot of stress and that has negative impact in lots of other parts of your life and with your family and the list goes on, as you said before. And so, yeah, fundamentally that intrinsic sense that we do enjoy what we do because there is a real strong sense of meaning around it in terms of our yeah. contribution that we want to make. Yeah, yeah. And so so building from that, um, is it my understanding through through looking into the, the website and 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 the disc that you've sort of built on the original disc profiling to sort of really sort of tailor it towards the sporting environment? So yeah, yeah. Essentially that's what we did. And you know. Because DISC is a behavioral profile, it's measuring behavior based on the context that you're in, right? So we also have a teacher's version of DISC. So as a teacher, how do you behave as a teacher in that role, right? So we notice that people do behave differently in different contexts, right? It's no different to a coach that creates a constraint. If I want my basketball team to be a better passing team, I'll put a constraint in around how many times they can dribble the ball. Okay, so whatever constraints are within your environment typically molds your behaviors. Now, we all have a personality. It's just that two people with the same personality can often behave very differently depending upon how they perceive their environment. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and the other thing about personality, why we don't refer to that and we didn't use a personality profile is because it's a little more of a growth mindset to talk about behavior and to talk about I can change, I can do something different. I don't have to change who I am. I can have a coffee in this cup or I could have it in the takeaway cup, still coffee, right? It's not changing what I'm drinking, but the format, the modality which I take it in is sometimes more or less appropriate, right? It's the same thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's often when leaders will say, "Oh, does this mean I'm not being authentic?" Well, yeah, no, not at all. You know, it just means that sometimes you need to, you know, really simply, this person just wants just give them the big picture or speak with some enthusiasm when you talk to this person. This person wants detail. Just slow it down when you chat to this person here, right? It's just making little adjustments to improve the communication or the relationship. Yeah, it's keeping keeping the core of who you are, that authentic self, and then but being adaptable around that to connect with the uh, person receiving on the other end or the event. Yeah, and the, the yeah. situation that you're in. So we often use that model, situation times behavior equals results. So whatever situation you're in, the worst thing you can do is just push the autopilot button. Yeah. You know, you have a game plan for whoever you're going to play in, in your world of squash. And, you know, yes, you've got your strengths, which should, should your game plan should capitalize on those. But let's at least be a little bit aware that I might like to do this particular shot, but that's every time I do it, it's going to give them an opportunity to maximize one of their strengths. Yeah. So let's just try and minimize some of that and be a little more um, aware of our surroundings and, and who we're actually interacting and communicating with. Yeah. Where we go. So, yeah, we basically just tailored the profile to suit the sporting environment. And it just makes a lot more sense to an athlete or a coach when they read it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's practical, yeah. Yeah, and just before we started, we talked about um, our kids a, a little bit. So I'm curious to know, in terms of parenting aspect, how powerful is this understanding to in raising kids and, and building a, you know, creating a, a positive environment to raise kids in? Yeah, again, it's that concept that, you know, behaviours, they develop their preferences through the environment that you expose them to. I look at some of the behaviours of my oldest daughter and think, oh, yeah, I know where that came from. Um, it's yeah. not hard to work it out. But then you can at least have the conversation where you can say, hey, look, let's be aware of when that behaviour is useful and let's also be aware of when you should have done something else. Now, the great thing about talking about behaviour is there's a lot more objective and so I can say being direct then instead of being, why were you so rude to your sister? Yeah. You know, you can say, hey, you spoke really directly to your sister right then. Well, did you think that was helpful? And they can say, oh, well, she got really upset. And you can say, yeah. So could you have done something different instead of saying, well, why are you like that? Yeah. That's not helpful. You know, it's not helpful. Like, why are you like that? It's whereas it's really helpful to say, hey, what could you have done differently? Yeah. And it gets them thinking about their behavior. They're not going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you get it right all the time. But kids can work this stuff out actually really early. And you, you do start to see patterns. And you would have had a massive role in creating them. And that's where it's useful to sometimes <laughs> look at yourself as a parent and go, all right, so are there some patterns that I, I, I need them to be aware of? And, and sometimes you need to put context around those patterns too. Is But that's awareness to go, look, I know that I can behave this way and you also as a you know your daughter or your son they need to understand that okay i do do this but i make it i, I choose to do that or i do that and i realize it's sometimes not so useful and mm. so you can show some vulnerability around that as well and, yeah. and be very again objective about it yeah 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 that's great so so let's talk about today and where you're at and i know you've kind of got a few different things on the go now you're expanding and building into different areas do you want to touch on any of the areas that you're moving into um at this point and the type of work that you're you're doing and i'm yeah. really curious to know more about kind of your points of view on leadership and, and winning teams because i know winning teams is a it's a thing you're kind of working on a model you're working on and and culture how culture is important around yeah so facilitating these behaviors that we've been talking about yeah i mean athlete assessments the work that we've done now for 15 or so years, it doesn't make it smarter than anyone else. But when you get to, like, sometimes you work with a coach that's been coaching for 30 years and they've coached 30 teams. I mean, that's not uncommon if you have a college coach or a, a coach at that caliber that they've seen 30 teams. Well, I'll see that in the space of a week, you know, and not that you're that intimate with all of those teams, but you get a really good insight. And so, you know, on any given year, 1,500 of these one-on-one -on -one sessions a year. And so you get to, you just get to see a lot. And you get to interact with a lot of different teams and programs and you see different cultures. And you start to work out what does tend to work better with people, not just athletes or corporate, but 
we say that an athlete is a person before they're an athlete, just the same as a business manager is a person before they're that business manager or whatever the case might be. And yeah. so people have common needs and some things drive people and all the work that you do around creating flow and performance and the biology of that is really, really interesting. And that's what happens with people, right? That's people. Yeah. Right? And so today we spend a lot of time still working with athlete assessments and the models that we use to help performance there. And we started doing a lot more work in the resource sector, mining companies, and um, essentially they're built on concept of teams as well. Um, and even big corporate organizations where you can break it into smaller teams. And I've got a pretty strong philosophy around like most leaders want connection to their to their actual company but a lot of people struggle to connect with the wider organization your connections will typically be stronger with the people that you work most immediately with yeah and that whether it's the marketing team or it's you know a part of the underground environment in a mining organization or a certain leadership team or or a you know customer service team it's those seven or eight or ten people that you go to work with on a day-to-day -day basis that you're going to form really strong connections with and it's the manager who's in charge and who's facilitating the leadership of that team that you'll connect mo most closely with the same as your coach right and so we've developed this teams within teams concept where yes there's a set of qualities that the whole organization would like to commit to but each team is going to live those qualities unique to how that team wants to live those qualities. And we yeah. want to give them a sense of identity around that and for them to develop it. All of my work is based around a concept of involvement, ownership, and maybe accountability, right? But to get accountability, which everyone wants, you've got to get people involved. Get ownership. To create ownership, you've got to have people involved, right? You can't yeah. give an athlete a game plan and say, hey, this is what you're going to do yet that athlete had no input into how they were going to play. Yeah. It just makes no sense to do that, yet you're going to hold them accountable to it. Or you give an employee a job description and say, this is your job, and you tell them. And, yeah, I know there has to be a starting point, but there also is plenty of room to massage that job description into something that is going to complement what strengths they have and preferred behaviours that they bring so that they can make that role their own. Yeah. We're massive believers in that. And yeah, it's a little bit of work, but you get far, far better outcomes. And that, I mean, there's so much research which has been done into intrinsic motivation and the sense of, you know, feeling a sense of connection to the people around you and those relationships that we take from sport, we know that works. And also that sense of, you know, meaning that you get in, in having a role where you're able to actually utilize your preferred behaviors. Yeah. Right, for the benefit of the team. And so, yeah, we've created programs around that now and in the process of essentially finding clients and rolling that out. And it, it, we've proven that it works in other areas. And even in, in the mining industry, we've proven that it works there. And, and so, yes, COVID's creating some issues. Not yeah. being able to travel is, is certainly meaning that we need to adapt. But, yeah, look, strange times, but, you know, hopefully we're coming out the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that what you touched on there as well, like that, this intrinsic intrinsic motivation is is also heavily governed by that sense of autonomy yeah like feeling like you can make those decisions and have the, yeah. the space and within the scope of the boundaries that are set but what is your autonomy within that and how can you stay focused on that to sort of keep that intrinsic driver that will help facilitate yeah. that connection as well so yeah yeah so just sort of touching on uh on Actually, before we get to flow, I just want to ask you, you know, what, what do you think are the biggest challenges that, put this into two answers, sporting teams and then also corporate teams face in today's landscape? And what do you think is, you know, if they were going to make a decision to improve on something, do you have any opinion on what that should be? Yeah, I mean, it's in really simplistically, and we can never oversimplify what the challenges are. But if we were going to, one of the most common issues that I see is the assumption of alignment, okay? And let's say that the leader of the teams talks about the goals and they talked about the goals of the objectives or the outcomes that the team wants to achieve and they often talk about that once and then it's never spoken about again, right? And people forget and people are confused and, you know, roles expand and they're not updated and we often have a very poor understanding as to 
you know, what winning actually looks like in the, in the, in the team and for the organisation. Mm. And not to mention, you know, the role that I play in helping create those winning outcomes and winning being whatever you define it to be, right? It's not just getting a W at the end of the game. It could be something quite different to that. That might be part of it, but it could be growth, improvement, better relationships, whatever it might be. So I see a lot of leaders that just assume that because we're also on the same page yesterday that we're going to be on the same page today. And it takes an enormous amount of energy to reconnect people on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah, it takes massive investment. And it's not always, it's certainly not easy for leaders to do that. And so I think it's safe to assume that we're not always aligned. In fact, most days we're probably not aligned. So we need to do something to create that alignment or on a twice weekly basis, connections, meetings, discussions, and, and actually having some meaning around that. Yeah, so there, there's, I mean, there's some of the, the challenges that I see. Yeah. Uh, I think the other issue with leadership too that I notice a lot is, you know, there's a lot of leaders that see leadership as, a, as like a second aspect or a separate aspect to their normal role, right? And so it's almost like, how, well, how do I lead whilst I'm actually doing my job? So yeah. to recognize that your job is actually to lead. And well, what does that mean? You know, I mean, it, leadership is so many things, but a big part of it is, you know, defining and, and keeping present in mind what winning looks like today, having a sense of purpose, reminding people of what that is and what it means to them. And a massive part of it is making sure that people are playing their roles and, you know, keeping that nice and tight, making sure that relationships are, are great within the team and that culture is developing and that you've got quality processes and systems and continually working around that circle so that you can always have some point that you're coming back to. Yeah. But again, you know, it's in those conversations, you know, I was chatting to a leader yesterday and, you know, they were talking about the fact that, you know, ultimately they're in charge of 500 or something people in this particular organization they work at and they come in after their work hours because that's when they can provide real leadership. And it's because a lot of the other time they're busy doing their job. And when they come in after work hours, they can go and chat to people, talk about their family, ask them how they're going, check in with their holiday, you know, actually connect them to what the organization's trying to achieve and engage in the conversations that they may not necessarily have time for when they're sitting behind their desk. Yeah. So it takes a lot of effort to do that, you know, and, and that's, that's a part of it. It's like, that's for me, a big part of the coaching philosophy is a coach you know, typically is someone that thinks about their team when they're not with their team. You know, they're on their mind all the time. And it actually doesn't matter whether you're coaching, you know, young kids and under 12s, just getting their first experience in sport or you're coaching a professional team. Like when you're looking after someone, you're thinking about them a lot. Yeah. And, you know, you're willing to have interactions outside of what that normal day-to-day -day workspace would be. Yeah. You know, and I, I think... That's the challenge, you know, to have the energy to do that and to have the energy to do it most days. Yeah. Yeah. So the sort of recovery becomes a very important part. Yeah. Of massively important. Leadership. Some of the, my the people, that was one of the things that I put in place very quickly is that if you, if you aren't sort of recovering, mm -hmm. like a world-class athlete would yeah. need to recover, you can't just continuously and consistently show up with that energy and clarity and ability to connect with people and do you know, your job but and i agree with what you said leadership is talked kind of almost like a segregated from someone's role yeah it is it's, it's immersed in it it's yeah everything you do it's how you show up it's how you communicate it's how you it's the energy you bring to the table but it's also yeah. how well you look after yourself so yeah you can actually show up that way and that's the that's i find that in a lot of the conversations i have that's the biggest one of the biggest missing pieces is that kind of that self-care piece going, yeah, I, I, I just need to probably not go into the office right now. I probably just need to go for a walk or I need to go and do this because if I show up like this, I'm not at my best. And when we go back to that concept, what you talked about earlier, like the, the, the 0.01%, you know, like these are, these are those little moments that can add up to a big difference. So. Yeah, and I think if you ask most leaders, well, what do they need to do to recover? Most would not be able to succinctly answer that question. The same for athletes. It's just that the difference with athletes is they have a coach is managing their recovery process. Yeah, so we have active recovery. This session's going to be a little quieter. We're going to be working on these things here. We're going to do some breathing exercises when we come off the water. 
okay, we're, we're going to have breakfast together and we're going to talk about this stuff here or we're going to do a trip away together or we're going to go, actually, guys, instead of this today, we're going to go for a bike ride or we're going to have a swim, we're going to go to the beach and play a game down there. We get some exercise done still, but it gives us an opportunity to get away. So someone is managing that recovery process. Yeah. And so even as an athlete, a former athlete, you don't always have a really, really good idea about what recharges your batteries, you know? Yeah. It's not a simple thing to work out either. And there are multiple demands upon certainly leaders these days being a parent or a partner or whatever else they might have going on in their life. There's often yeah. not always a lot of space to recover. No, no, there's not. You're right. So all of that work on breathing and, you know, it's a big part of with teams even. So even in the space of a game, like recovery strategies for a mistake, you know, or we just got scored on, how do we recover quickly? And, certainly the ability to recover quickly which is like as you would know like it's, it's something you can practice right you can actually practice those strategies and most teams don't yeah you know, most teams have no awareness of it whatsoever so it's yeah. a good area that you can develop yeah i found it interesting uh, just on that like watching the uh the wallabies play over the last couple of weekends that um at the end of a a try against the four they come into a huddle and they're doing a, a collective breath together and i've seen some yeah. afl teams doing that st kilda i think in melbourne have um embraced that concept as well at each at each sort of uh quarter time break so we're starting to see these little moments of micro recovery that are being used in sport yeah you know, on, a, on a on a world called sca- uh, stage but in say in, in the boardroom or in the office we kind of don't think, yeah. what does one good deep breath do for me? It can do actually a hell of a lot if you tap into it and do it well. But yeah, it's, we often don't think, well, if I don't have an hour to go for a massage, I don't have, I don't have time to recover as well. Yeah. So it's, the, it's changing the sort of the narrative around what does recovery look like for each context hmm. and each moment. And, um, but it is a hard thing, even though I know all the information I know about it and I encourage my clients to do it even for myself to take that moment of awareness to go you know i've just come out of a a deep focus i should probably just take five minutes and do nothing yeah do some breath work do a meditation close my eyes yeah i mean it's interesting because we like some of the industries we work in now like mining for example where someone has to do an important job and it's risk associated with and if you do it incorrectly you will it's not if you will hurt yourself is that eventually you will hurt yourself or someone else. And it's a very hazardous environment they're working in and they're doing it for long hours. And, you know, that ability to just take a moment, I mean, it's actually structured, it's called a take five, right? It's it's structured into how they perform a task. Yeah. But I was working with a volleyball team last week and volleyball connects all the time. So between points, they connect, yeah. win or lose, they connect. But they don't really connect. And I said, well, hang on, aren't you, aren't you, you as a team, you players, you're all connecting between points, right? And I, and I said, well, what do you talk about? And they said, oh, we don't really say much at all. I said, well, what do you actually do when you connect? And I said, oh, we just, I guess we just say random things like, oh, well done, oh, let's get the next point or something. And I, I said, well, how do you know if you're connecting with someone? Because there has to be some level of eye contact and presence and Yes, those little recovery moments, but there has to be deep connection with each other when you do that. And often they're taking place as just a box ticking exercise. I see the same things with some football teams we work with where you see them taking their breath and it's the wrong type of breath to take, you know, it's and it's just done out of it's a process yeah it's not done out of any sense of intention behind it. Yeah, I was going to say clear intention. Yeah, purpose. And so that is really important to do and this is the, like you said the other thing there is there's a lot of strategies that work in high performance sport that don't always translate to business because you know i think they would definitely work in business but oh well, no one else does this and it's not that serious and maybe it's not life-threatening but there are plenty of industries where it is yeah. you know and they follow these practices and um, again it's a function of how badly and how much performance do you want out of your people yeah. yeah. And it's working smarter. It's not, you're not making them work any harder. You're just tuning them in, right? Yeah. Well, exactly. And, and, and it does enhance all the things that 
managers and leaders are looking for out of their people, right? Yeah. Better performance, more productivity, more engagement, connection, more health, more, you know, showing up, yeah. um, less fatigued, all these things. But yet the way they're pushing that from a top end, top down sort of culture or un even our unconscious culture is just rewarding the wrong behaviors, let's say, in a yeah. way rather than sort of taking the space and having the courage potentially to go, well, what would it look like if we did have 15 minutes every day built into our workspace where there was silence, phones got turned off? Like, what would that look like if we just were able to connect as a group or, or figure out our own little recharge moment, take a walk or whatever it is? Yeah. Having the courage to take that time away but replace it with extra attention to detail that, that makes up it over the long run a significant amount of productivity and, yeah. and connection that but it's having that courage in the moment to make a different decision to, to, to do something different. And mm. that is uncomfortable, <laughs> but it seems a little bit risky. But yeah. Um, yeah. And certainly, you know, like I think the principles apply in all sense and each organization has to work out what's appropriate for their workspace and their work needs and their clients and, and that sort of thing. So, but there is always opportunity for it. And um, I think, probably it's going to catch on at some stage because you know i remember when i first started rowing no one talked about recovery yeah uh, zero it was like train hard and try and do it again the next day and it was yeah, all about intensity then they started to work out that well if you don't train as physically hard where you're building lactate all the time it's a more enjoyable technically you can work on things better and people are more likely to come back the next day because they're not mentally having to gear themselves up for one of the hardest rows of their life every time they practice. Yeah. So training at a lower intensity through and developing that network of capillaries and all of that type of science that went behind it, improving the oxygen flow through your body and the transport of the waste product away, has created some breakthroughs in times, you know, and then they added on, okay, well, how do we recover faster? So we used to do all sorts of stuff with, like light and sound and we'd get these like earphones on and it plays like scripts and you know different music and alpha brainwave patterns and all this sort of stuff and like the lights would flash in your eyes you could adjust the intensity of them we were experimenting with these things because you know my coach was on that path that if we could do something to release what was it more alpha brainwave patterns it, it speeds up our recovery process and how can we stimulate that and growth hormone and all this sort of stuff these, yeah, I mean, again, not many did that, you know, and so that's the good thing about chasing the small margins is, hey, all right, let's experiment, let's try. If it works, if we get a good outcome, if we feel better afterwards, let's keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the challenge, right? Going into that, going into that place of uh, curiosity to find out where is that edge. Mm. And the edge is not in one place, it's in a whole bunch of different places. And, and I feel like what you're talking about, that the behavioral connection, the, the profiling, and then the culture of that, that breeds and builds is one of those things that, you know, was, was coming to the forefront for sure right now, but uh, it's still it's the intention and purposefulness about that rather than sort of bringing in a, are we going to bring someone in to look at our culture in our organization, but and tick that box. Yeah. How do you actually live and breathe that and commit to it and have the courage to do that? to stand up that requires energy and attention so yeah and good systems too so Absolutely. often a lot of times you know companies need to have their systems reviewed and to look at the reward systems for example and i spent time with the team this morning that it's a typical scenario best player on the team behaves poorly are we going to play that player and well this is a matter of your philosophy as a manager or a coach and when, where do you want your wins? Are you interested in winning this weekend or are you interested in winning the championship next year? You know, because you have to make a stand over the qualities you want to see your players represent. And if this player just, you can't just reward physicality, the same in the workplace. You, every workplace is filled with people that are really technically good that don't bring a lot of, you know, qualities that add value to the team. Yeah, and it is possible to get a combination of both, you know, and people can sometimes be taught and developed in these ways if you, if you, if you value that as a culture. Yeah, and yeah, I think more more organisations in sport and business are trying to make those decisions, and that you need to contribute more than just some technical skill, 
and your behaviors and you, the, how you add value to the culture absolutely matters. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Well, last question for you. In, in aid of sort of the flow, like obviously being a high performance athlete, rowing probably brought you into a state of flow quite often. That competition fueled that. And um, so, what is it today? Is it purely building athletes assessment and the business development? Is that what brings you the most flow? And if so, is do you have a secondary sort of activity that, that gets you into flow that kind of fuels you and, and lights you up a bit? What, what, is, oh, look, what is that for Bo Hansen? Look, the reality, I mean, there is nuts and bolts of making money and trying to create something out of nothing. I've always been motivated to, to do our thing and to not have to rely on someone else. It's always been a, big internal motivator for myself and my wife and the decisions we make together. But ultimately, I do have a strong desire to want to help others improve their programs. And when I'm, and that's the whole point, like I'm often having similar conversations throughout the entirety of my day is like, how do I, how do I not get bored with that? Well, because, you, you know, whoever you're talking to really needs some level of contribution from you right and it, it, i can't possibly help them or for them to you know develop some strategies to help themselves if i'm bored with my own work you know and so it's it's so far removed from being about me and i'm really driven by making sure that genuinely they have a positive experience i mean that's it's just so fundamentally important and that may sometimes result in getting more business but you know, sometimes it doesn't too, you know, I mean, that's the reality, but we still volunteer a lot of our time and, and do things for nothing. And, and the list goes on because we, we try to genuinely make a contribution. Um, I mean, that's, I know, that's fundamentally what it, what it is about for me. And yeah, if we've seen enough examples of athletes that have had really poor experiences with their coach, we've seen enough examples of managers that have had a really negative experience in their workplace. And this is it. Like the bigger picture is that this is it. You know, you're not, you're not getting a second go at this. And yeah, as a leader as a, and as a coach, you can't be so selfish as to create a, a shit experience for your people. It's just not on in my world, you know? And so if I can help yeah. them, develop some better strategies. I'm, I'm like, I'm really, really passionate about that. They have no right to give their athletes or their, or their team members a poor experience. Um, you've got to do everything you can to try and to make it a great experience for people. Yeah. So yeah. it still, still motivates me today. And, you know, some people that's not important to, and they won't work with us, you know, and the ones that do, we're on this ride together and it's, we learn just as much from them and dealing with people as you're well aware is, is complex. And it's, um, you know, it's always interesting, right? Challenging and challenging and interesting. And yeah, but it's, um, but yeah, I, I can really resonate with what you're saying and, and that connection and that motivation behind what you're doing. And, and you're obviously doing some phenomenal stuff. So, you know, I think when you're in front of people too, like, you know this as well there's always uh there are always is a, and i learned a lot from you when you came in that day and i love what you do around actual you know almost like the the biology of this is really important to understand how things are working and it's not this mythical state that just some days turns up and some days doesn't you can be so intentional about creating it and you know the fact that um yeah, that's a that's a massive piece of the equation, and that when you're presenting in front of someone, or you know, people are watching you as a leader, there's consequences to all of the things that you do, right? Yeah. And that that's a healthy thing to have. It's a healthy thing to feel that sort of pressure and to know that you must deliver, and there's it's not an option not to. Yeah. And so that type of environment that I'm in all the time when suddenly you step out in front of a group of people, or there's you know like 50 people on Zoom that are literally waiting for you and some may be skeptical and you've got to actually do a good job there's some pressure there especially yeah. when if i don't do a good job then staff don't keep their jobs and so that serves to provide you know the necessary you know adrenaline or whatever else i need to actually perform right yeah perform yeah yeah um, yeah it's, a, it's the same you know like what you just said was was perfect in terms of you know lining up in in the in the boat with your teammates about to waiting for 
the siren to go or the bell to go, yeah. that anticipation, like that's such a pivotal point for us to get into a, a state of performance. Like mm. That's what we thrive on. And quite often people avoid those moments, which is yeah not helpful. They need to lean into that part. But um, and yeah, the, the understanding of that biology and that that mechanism, of what it actually does to us, is a bit of a it's a game changer when you know it. Because yeah. we all know it. We all we all we've all experienced it. But being more intentional about it, going how can I create more of those moments? Because on the flip side is my best self, me mm-hmm. showing up and getting into that state of flow also leads to a higher quality of life satisfaction so mm. yeah, it is quite powerful and you know but I'm, I'm, i definitely believe that the behavioral aspect to it as well personality also governs you know the contextually what allows you to get into that state yeah it does yeah totally yeah physical motivation is a big driver of that so and the people around you can also facilitate that so mm. it's all heavily connected and um but yeah, at the end of the day, it comes down to our, our biologies. So yeah, we'll look, look both. I'm gonna yeah, pleasure. Out of here, otherwise we could probably talk about this stuff all day long. And um, thank you for sharing uh, your world, your work with uh, with myself and the listeners. And um, yeah, no doubt people got some a ton of value out of the conversation. And uh, yeah, so where can people find you? Look you up, athletesassessment.com. Yeah, athlete assessment. So yeah, just yeah, athleteassessments.com and or coach at athleteassessments.com but yes depending on questions comments yes please of course reach out we'll be here shipping through all right mate well i appreciate your time thanks for joining me on the flowcast and uh we might have to do this again another time in the sure, future no trouble pleasure thanks for Thank you for dialing into the flowcast i hope you took away some valuable insights to make your challenges and journey a little more epic If you'd like to learn more about how we can help you find more flow and upskill your vision and mindset, check out our flow programs at www.inspiredpeakperformance.com or you can follow us on Instagram at inspiredpeakperformance. Thanks again for sharing your valuable time with us and please feel free to share and subscribe to the Flowcast. Until next time, get out there, find your flow and create your own inspired peak performances daily.